You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Have you seen the movie Arrival? The movie came out in 2016 and stars Amy Adams as a linguist named Louise Banks and Jeremy Renner as a physicist named Ian Donnelly. It also includes Forrest Whitaker as the Colonel G.T. Weber, or Weber, I'm not sure, I don't remember. But the basic plot is that aliens uh, arrive on Earth and the U.S. Army enlists linguist Louise Banks and physicist Ian Donnelly uh, to try to figure out why they're here and what they have to say, in short. So in time, the two are able to decipher the communications, uh, decipher the language, and eventually discover... So, spoiler alert here, they're eventually able to discover that the aliens are trying to reveal to humans a new understanding of time or a new perception of time that enables humans to see beyond the limits of linear time, if that makes sense. Like, time is a straight line. So, in short, Louise Banks, again played by Amy, Amy Adams, uh, begins to have premonitions of the future, uh, which are really just memories if that makes sense, as a future uh, that has sort of not yet come to pass yet because of her new awareness of time as circular, not linear, she's able to see, to see, or I guess we might say remember, the future. So there's an even bigger spoiler. So again, if you, if you want to see the movie uh, Earmuffs here, uh, the two leading characters, uh, Banks played by Adams and then uh, Donnelly, played by Renner, eventually fall in love and have a child. Yet, tragically, the child at the age of 12 falls ill to an incurable disease and dies. So the big reveal here is that because of her newly gained perception of time as circular and not linear, Banks knew everything that would happen. She knew that she would fall in love with Donnelly, she knew they would have a child, and she knew that the daughter would die of an incurable illness. Yet despite knowing all this tragedy that would come, Banks still chose to go down that path. So it's, it's then revealed that Donnelly, the physicist, leaves Banks, heartbroken over the loss of a daughter and angry that Banks had willingly gone down that path despite knowing the pain and tragedy that would befall them. While it's obviously just a movie, Banks' strength and courage to willingly pursue a future which she knew would lead to pain and heartbreak struck me as incredibly profound. And that being said, I also emphasized, emphasized, empathized with the pain and pain and anger Ian Donnelly must have felt as he, you know, as he processed and reasoned that all of this heartbreak and pain could have been avoided because Banks knew what was going to happen. Basically, despite knowing all that could and would go wrong, Banks believed that the love and connection she shared with Donnelly and the joy and uh, elevation, if that's the word, um, that would come about through the birth of a child and, and seeing that child grow was worth all that, all the pain and heartbreak she would eventually experience uh, from her partner walking away and her child dying tragically. Like she knew all that joy was worth 
all the pain, and she chose to still pursue it. Despite all the threats of pain and heartbreak, she took the initiative in love in spite of the dangers, in spite of the risks. You know, this theme of loving first, in spite of what may happen, reminds me of a well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. John 3.16 is perhaps one of the most well-known verses in American Christianity, and if you have any connection to church, it's likely that this is one of the first, if not the first, Bible verses that you memorized as a child if you grew up in the church. You probably, you know, even being outside the church, you've probably seen it referenced uh, from signs at sporting events to banners at political rallies, or even on Tim Tebow's Eye Black if you followed football for a length of time. So the verse goes like this, as I remember it, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Now, while this verse is often used in a standalone context, it fits within a story of Jesus talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus. Apparently trying to avoid being noticed, Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cover of night, seeking to talk about uh, the things that Jesus was talking about and to learn from Jesus. Now, in this conversation, Jesus uses this metaphor of being born again. And obviously, as an older man, Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus sort of chides him for not being able to grasp the concept. Eventually, Jesus says this, and this is where we get the verse. It's in this conversation. Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John 3, 16 and 17. You know, I was, I was reading, as I was reading this first for this message this week, uh, in, in the context of our again and again message series, I couldn't help but notice the same theme of the movie present in these verses. That despite all the pain and heartbreak, God took the initiative to love. God risked the danger no matter, God took the initiative again and again. God loved first. Now, no matter our understanding of God, we can probably agree on this. That God could foresee, God could foreknow. For, for God had a hunch, at least, right? That God's efforts to pursue loving relationship with humanity would be rejected and rebuffed again and again and again. Yet despite all the pain and the heartbreak, God took the initiative to love. God loved first. Through the years, Christian leaders have struggled to adequately understand and describe what it means to say that God loved first. Theologians, philosophers, Philosophers, professors, academics, they've all devised complex and complicated 
theories and systems to try to detail and describe what God truly loving first means. Now, certainly, there are people much smarter than me who, who might have a better explanation than mine and might disagree with what I think. But I think it's really as simple as this, that despite all the pain and the heartbreak, God took the initiative to love in spite of the dangers, in spite of the risks. Again and again, God takes the initiative. God loves first and you know, when I think about it in that way, I honestly find myself almost overcome with a profound sense of humility and gratitude that God was willing to take the risk again and again and again, even going so far as sending His own Son, Jesus, to earth so that we might be in relationship, so that we might be in relationship. For God so loved the world. I imagine like me, if you take a moment to stop and reflect on this, it, it fills you with a sense of wonder and gratitude and thankfulness. As you reflect on this profound idea that God was willing to take the risk again and again to be in a relationship with you. But truly, I don't think we can stop there. I think as followers of Jesus, as people who seek to emulate the ways of God, we too must practice God's ways of loving first. You know, this past January, after all the anxiety and insecurity was at least somewhat put to bed with a peaceful transition of power to the new president at the inauguration, Many on the left spoke about those on the right of having, needing to have a sort of come to Jesus moment, right? Sort of public confession and repentance for previously aligning with a leader who had been the source of so much anger, vitriol, and hatred, to be honest. And while I would certainly agree that many Americans do need to repent of their sinful ways, I honestly struggled and continue to struggle with this inherent idea that reconciliation in our nation will come about not by the left and the right coming together in a spirit of forgiveness and humility, but rather by those on the right taking all the blame and completely coming over to those on the left. Now, please, I don't intend, uh, I don't intend in any way to condone the anger, the hatred, and just plain cruelty that has been frankly celebrated by so many on the right. But I can't quite get on board with this notion that reconciliation requires nothing of those on the left, especially those who seek to follow the way of Jesus. Again, as I go back to John 3.16, that God took the initiative that God took the risk in sending Jesus, that despite knowing what might happen, God loved first. God loved first. You know, I really wonder, I really wonder how things might look different in our nation if we took the initiative to love first, 
not waiting for the other side to take all the blame or come all the way over to our side. What if we, just like God, chose to love first? I know many can rightly say, they hurt me, they threatened my family, they sought to harm me. And I don't, I don't want to diminish, to diminish that in any way. And I also want to acknowledge that, that my, my standing as a straight white male, uh, you know, upper class male even, can give me a privilege and security to do this in ways that other people might not be able to do this. But as I read the biblical story, as I understand, or at least begin to understand, God's unending and relentless love for humanity, I can't help but seeing that again and again, God loved first. Despite all the threats of pain and heartbreak, God took the initiative to love, in spite of the dangers, in spite of the risks. Again and again, God loves first. God takes the initiative. And I believe we should too. We should too as followers of the way of God, as followers of Jesus. But I, I want to add this important caveat. God is God and we are not God, all right? God is God and we are not God. God is in a position of power and privilege and position to be able to risk hurt and rejection to relentlessly pursue relationship. Though I am certainly not God in any way, like I said, I have some measure of power and privilege and position that enables me to take risks that others may not be able to do. So let me again give this very important caveat. God is God and we are not God. I cannot, nor do I believe God asks of this, for you to pursue reconciliation and relationship for, with folks who will diminish you, demean you, or endanger you. But I do believe, I do believe that whether it's done in external ways or not, we can all choose to love first. We can all choose to seek relationship. We can all choose to seek reconciliation. We can take the initiative just as God did with us. We can choose to love first. And, and maybe you're not in a position to go out and make friends with someone on the other side of the political spectrum as you. But you can choose to love them. You can choose to pray for them. You can choose to seek their best interests. You can choose to seek good for them. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and loveth God. I want to invite you con to consider today, what does it mean for you to think about God taking an initiative and loving us first? Have you ever thought about the risk that God was taking to seek a relationship with you and I and the rest of humanity? What do you think it would look like in your life to love first? What does taking a risk to love look like in your life?
And how do you know? How do you know when to draw the line and give it up to God, so to speak? I invite you to think and ponder over these things, and we'll discuss them shortly after this video airs live in our Zoom discussion and communion group. But let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you for relentlessly pursuing us. Thank you for loving us first. Thanking, thank you for taking the risk to seek relationship with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.